Hello, and welcome to Diminishing Returns. Uh, I'm Calvin, if you are tuning into this for the first time, and James Bond is my favourite film series. And now we're on <laughs> the 19th film in our uh, retrospective. 19. Yeah, we're at 19 what? in... It feels like as many years. I don't think it has been, what, three, four years since we've been doing this. And, yeah, uh, yeah I don't know why I do this, because... Uh, the other chaps who are on this podcast as well are uh, not big fans of the series, but maybe that will change today. Ha ha. So I'm I'm here. <laughs> how, with, how optimistic are you over that? Come. I'm here with uh, Sol, whose favourite film so far in this series, I believe, has been A View to a Kill. Am I right? Um, I think I prefer Doctor No overall, but A View to a Kill. Oh, no, 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 it's Licensed to Kill, I think. is The oh. first half of that is the most I've enjoyed one of these films. Oh, right, ah, I see. But then it really kind of trails off. Oh, okay. <laughs> hmm. And uh, there's also Alan, whose favourite one so far, I think, has been Goldfinger? Yeah, I, I don't yeah. want it. I'm not, I know I'm not upsetting the apple cart much with that choice, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, pretty much. So here we are, we're going to discuss the 19th official Bond film, the third one starring Pierce Brosnan, The World Is Not Enough, released in 1999. So, we were all strapping young men at the time this was released. I was a big Bond fan when this was released. I remember it coming out, though I didn't see it at the cinema when it came out. Uh, Do you two have any conscious memories of this, Alan in particular? No, I know... I went to see the next one at the cinema, but I don't think I saw The World Is Not Enough at the cinema. My only real memory of it is that uh, Garbage did the song because I was 15 at the time and Shirley Manson had a great effect on developing young Thomas uh, in, oh. the, in the late 90s. So I was a fan mm. of Garbage. So the fact that they were doing the song was on my radar. Not that I particularly mm. like the song, to be honest with you. It's nothing special. Yeah. <laughs> Soul? No. Okay. <laughs> yeah, well, there we go. Um, I've no idea what you guys think of this. I know Soul's seeing it for the first time. Alan, is it your first time? I've definitely seen it before, but it must be so long ago. I, I okay. certainly couldn't have told you any of the details, so... Right. Yeah, it may as well have been, yeah. This is one of my very favourite Bond films. Oh, this God. is like... That That does not surprise me. Oh, Top tier I, I might have to leave the show. It's... <laughs> Oh no! Oh, <laughs> I thought the uh, emotional journey in this one might have won you over, Alan. The what? Sorry. The emotional journey, the character story. What? <laughs> there's an emotional journey. Well, there's so, there's more of a character story, more Which emotional character story. Are we talking to... about uh, Bond and Electra. Mm. What? what? Well, what? you know, the... Bond and <laughs> Electra. Yeah, you know, like, he, the, the whole gimmick is, like, he falls in love with the main villain, who also happens to be the Bond oh, girl. Oh, is that film. what that was? Oh, yeah. right. No, genuine. Right, okay. I wondered why we were supposed to be taking, like, he looked sad when she, he came <laughs> I was like, what's, what's that about? Uh, oh I thought there was some, like, backstory between them I'd missed. But I didn't I didn't realise he was meant to be, like, emotionally invested in her beyond, you no. know. Do you know what they're right? Any regular listeners of this, our Bond reviews at least, will uh, know that certainly with Saul, I know you'll agree with me here, there's always a moment in a Bond film where you just sort of phase out and you go, I've, I'm just not win this, with this anymore. It's usually about halfway through, 40 minutes in. 
I I actually had the opposite in this film. I I found myself <laughs> focusing in more as it went on, but that like for the first forty minutes or so. I did think several times, like, I don't know what's going on and I have no idea who these people are because I just can't, I can't bring myself to concentrate on any of it. Yeah. Well, that's it. I mean, boring. like I, I was going to say, my my phase out moment for this film was during the speedboat chase, um, which is, what, <laughs> seven minutes in? Oh. I, I was just suddenly, suddenly realised that the speedboat chase was still going on, but I had no idea what was, what was happening. <laughs> I was like, I was just looking at the screen, but wasn't going in. And that was very much uh, carried on throughout the film. <laughs> so, mm, yeah. Uh, that boat chase is one of my favourite action sequences in all of Bond. I absolutely love it. Let's start at the beginning. Because eh? there's, yes. there's sort of two pre-credit sequences. Yes. I I was expecting... So at the start of this, I thought they were doing something really clever <laughs> and, and post-modern. I thought oh, we're going to kind of bypass all the usual James Bond nonsense, like Q scene and all these other bits we get at the start because they've been attacked by the villain and interrupted. And that's like a really cool thing to do. It's like in cartoons where they'll like do the opening sequence, but then, you know, halfway through uh, Stan singing his song at the beginning of American Dad, he'll like, look at the newspaper and be like, hang on, what's this? And like, you're bang, you're into the episode. They've gone postmodern. <laughs> I thought we were doing that. But then later on in the film, they just did a cue scene and all the normal stuff anyway. Yeah. So it was, it, it, yeah. Initially, I went into it like, wow, this is cool. They're playing with the format. I'm enjoying this. Yeah. But then they undid that goodwill very swiftly. Well, that's entirely what they're doing. It's, uh, you know, I, and I think it would work had they put the opening title sequence where they in- initially wanted to put it, which was after Bond jumps out of the Swiss banker's window in uh, in yeah. Spain. Because yeah. this is what Alan was referring to, I believe, when he said there are two <laughs> pre-credit sequences. That one first, uh, he's some sort of Swiss bank in Spain. Uh, he ends up shooting. He, he just shoots someone straight up. In like forty seconds in the film, he just cold bloodedly shoots someone. You know, one of the security guys. Which I thought was a pretty mm. brutal start for a Bond film. I know he does kill people, but you know, mm. he normally makes a joke when he's finished. At least, yeah, at least you know, leaven the situation with a bit of witty banter. <laughs> uh, and then he finds a thin bit of elastic that he's used for the blinds. I think <laughs> straps it around his waist and then. And trusts his life to it. Uh, yeah. Weird, that was a weird thing. <laughs> I mean, that was a very thin bit of elastic, though, wasn't it? Yeah, it works. Well, I, you know what doesn't work is that in order for that to not kill him, but, like, get him down to the... Like, it's it's the perfect length only if he ties it to a person who holds on to a table, and then the table kind of holds initially halfway down, but then a bit of the table comes off, yeah, so that he kind of does it in two bits. If that person hadn't held on to anything, he might have misjudged the length of that and just gone splat into the floor, or (laughs) the guy might have gone whizzing out of the top window with him, like, once he gets to a certain length. You know, he's making a lot of assumptions about how that guy's going to behave and the, how sturdy that table is. He's making a lot of assumptions of how strong the elastic is. It looks like <laughs> knicker elastic. It's like <laughs> half an inch wide. It's not not thick stuff, is it? 
can I can I just say because obviously Alan and I are just gonna get into our usual patter of uh, <laughs> slagging off Bond. being <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Can, can I just say, like, if if you only listen to the Bond episodes and you're sick of how negative we are all the time, li- listen to our previous three episodes. We've just done Christopher Nolan's filmography, and like, we've been we've been singing the praises of him. We've been really, really positive on the whole. I would say, with, yeah. You know, well, you were. You gave one of them a ten out of ten. Yeah. Well. <gasps> yeah. <laughs> Inception. It's a secret. Oh, well, you have to yeah, listen. You have to to listen. <laughs> but um, my point is, you know, we're we're not we're not negative Nancys. We just don't like James Bond. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we just don't like crap films. They don't like much else. I mean, <laughs> anyway. So yes, that whole sequence with Bond jumping out of the window was supposed to be the uh, main title sequence, but then after the previous two very explosive ones, there was always a precedent at this point for big explosive openings, and uh, that's why they decided to push the actual credit sequence a bit further. So this is, to date, the longest Bond pre-title sequence, because they have this boat chase. Um, That's why I don't think it works as a very good surprise that it is interrupted by the action. And I think if we'd have had the credits and then come into this and you do just think, oh, okay, yeah. we're into the usual briefing and cue scene and all that, then it would have worked um, a lot better. Yeah, because it's a pre-credit sequence, so you're like primed to have, well, they're going to have to have some big action piece here. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, fair point, yeah. It's all shot on the River Thames and there's all these things like the Millennium mm. Dome. Yeah, I, I, I saw the Millennium Dome and I went, oh wow, I'm surprised they didn't make more of a thing out of the Millennium Dome. And uh, then he falls on the Millennium Dome. <laughs> <laughs> and he basically does uh, what what I think they still do is like a thing if you go along to whatever the Millennium Dome's called now. Neo 2. It's like a special experience where you can walk on the roof of the Millennium Dome. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And so you just you get to watch James Bond like, just walking on the Millennium Dome. But this was... It was 1999. People still liked the Millennium Dome. They hadn't, it hadn't even been opened at that point. So. <laughs> That's what I mean. They were excited for it. They hadn't realised... They hadn't seen the Blackadder time travel special yet. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Tony Blair was still in favour with the general public, you oh, know. Well, th- th- this, I mean, this opening time. sequence is a very big deal for Bond. To be having a, an action sequence of this scale in London at this point in the series was quite a big deal. Mm. And going past Parliament, all that, and it was, you know, it was the 90s, it was Britpop, man, and all that. He very quickly gets out of the way of Parliament. It's very quickly in a kind of more industrial area that... Must oh, have yes. been a lot easier to get permission to <laughs> blow stuff up on and film it. Yes, yes. But even then, though, that was all like the Docklands. That that stuff was all yeah, like new. Yeah, that yeah. whole area was like a brand new development. It was maybe uh, yeah, strange and exciting for people to <laughs> those things. I I watched this film with my girlfriend, who uh, I think is only familiar with the modern Daniel Craig era Bond films, and she. She was quite excited to watch this because she was under the foolish misconception that she likes James Bond because of those <laughs> Daniel Craig films. Uh, <laughs> and and I should add, you know, she she's got a real thing for like nineties nostalgia, so she perhaps should have enjoyed it. But but I mean, she was laughing out loud when James Bond went underwater in his boat, and then we got a shot of him kind of cruising on the water to show that it's actually like a submarine boat. You're supposed to laugh, like when he adjusts his tie? That's funny. 
No, but she wasn't laughing at that. She was laughing at how shit it looked. No. <laughs> a bad special effect. We actually do sort of plot here. So some rich man gets killed. I really love the music. It's probably my favourite soundtrack in all of Bond. I uh, really like this score. And I think it does work to liven up some of the more flatter visual elements. I don't think it's a very exciting or interesting film to look at. I saw it actually on the big screen last year with Majesty's Secret Service and Moonraker, which, you know, shot on film in the 60s and 70s, look really lavish and all that kind of stuff. And this one just had almost like it was sort of made for TV look about it. Mm. 99 this was made, but it feels like you could have made this in 85. It would have looked exactly the same. And Oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> no, there, there is... There is a truly 90s aesthetic to what this film is doing, and I think it's almost bizarre that it's so late 90s, because, you know, watching the opening titles sequence, for example, it's firmly in that kind of Spice World, PlayStation (laughs) 1, Pepsi commercial aesthetic. Um, I don't disagree. (laughs) That's, you know, much, much later than 85. It's like watching Lara Croft Tomb Raider. (laughs) Oh, well, well, even more so when we get to uh, (laughs) Denise Richards, yeah. 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 We'll we'll get there. Uh, But yeah, just one more thing I want to say about this action sequence is just, I love that for so much of it, it actually is Pierce Brosnan driving this boat and doing a lot of the stuff himself. That's really nice. Can I ask, what what is Pierce Brosnan's accent? Because <laughs> I, I know he's Irish, but he's spent a bit of time in the UK and America. Yes. Yeah, yes. You've nailed it. But his accent doesn't correspond to any, any of them. <laughs> the word bomb is the one he always gets me with. Like, bomb. That's how he says bomb. He can't just walk bond, in with a bomb. Bond. Bond. James Bond. But it's, it's more it's this kind of... Oh, don't know. It's kind of, doing Marlon Brando. Like, <laughs> yeah. no, I know what you mean. He does. He 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 does like very wet T's and D's. Like if a word, a, a sentence ends with like a T, he kind of does like T instead of T. It's T. I don't know if this is if the wetness. I'm really capturing his wetness, but it's very obvious. I think when you notice. <laughs> I wasn't that impressed with Pierce in this one, you know. I, I, I guess um, there's a few things I'm gonna pick him up on, but I was out of interest. Was he is Pierce Brosnan someone who grew tired of playing Bond, like many of them did? And yeah, He'd see, still I do thought it today he, if they'd let him. Yeah, that's what I thought. But in this film, it he feels like he doesn't want to be there at times, or he's i don't know like he's struggling with it. it it's well i think what they're struggling with is by this point he's, he's on his third film in he's firmly established in the role he gets good reviews people like him and, and, and that, yeah i should say i i you know i thought he was great in the previous two as james bond he's pretty mm. much everything you want from a james bond you know so i'm not yeah i'm not saying this as someone just out to shit all over James Bond, you know? I think what you're reacting to is the fact that, like, uh, because this is third one in now, he can make certain demands, and one of his demands was that he wanted dramatic Ah, scenes to play. He wanted to sort of show off his skills as an actor. Where were they, then? Did they come out? Well, mm, I think he's one of those actors who, when he's sort of 
let free <laughs> to sort of I think his performances actually kind of get worse as the series go on he maybe needs to be tightly directed yeah I think so and I think at this point he just had enough sway and he was making demands on the script and stuff we'll get to a scene later on where I think his acting is actually really bad but uh... well the, the, yeah it was just it was little moments that were jumping out at me it wasn't like I just thought oh he's crap it was just certain moments would catch me off guard and I'd be like oh he didn't sell that what there's one moment in particular actually where he's trying to be like a tough guy Mm. i think he i don't know punches someone in the face or something but it really struck me like oh wow pierce brosnan can't sell a tough bond either i know (laughs) alan's you know spoken about roger moore and george lazenby not being able to sell tough like sean connery could but Mm. but that's it because you believe sean connery would hit a woman uh, that's that's the difference. <laughs> <laughs> Only with an open hand. I, whereas I think like someone like Pierce is trying to take it seriously and trying to take it in a different direction, and I don't think it quite coalesces in this one. Uh, it takes them a couple more films before they get there. The woman, the sort of the the woman who is the villain for the first ten minutes, she ah. blows up a rich man, and she knows where he's going to be, but. How did she know that that was the MI6 building when it's such a big secret? Like, how would she know where to wait? (laughs) And and why why were they allowed to film that? (laughs) This is the problem with the uh, the, the MI6 building in general, isn't it? That it is so well known uh, in London. (laughs) Do you think it's just a decoy now that they just use as a kind of fake... It's like Area 51, isn't it? <laughs> All the aliens are in Area 52. They moved them years ago. Uh, maybe. Uh, yeah, so the woman who's getting chased on a speedboat, she does what any logical person would do in that situation and steals a hot air balloon. Because uh, <laughs> you want to make a quick and discreet getaway. Hot air balloon is the way to go. <laughs> <laughs> and the good thing about a hot air balloon is that you do have control over where it goes. <laughs> yeah. So... Both up and down. <laughs> Two dimensions. So yeah, she kills herself rather than go back to uh, her boss, it seems. Mm. Who we don't know yeah, who he is. Know he's bad. We don't we we do get sort of told who he is, but we don't meet him until fifty minutes into the film. So mm. And then it turns out he's just, like, the bane to the French woman who tells him what to do. Mm. So, do we know what accent Robert Carlyle was doing? Out of curiosity. Did he know <laughs> at the time? Are we, should we talk about the opening title sequence? First, <laughs> Go on. Before we move on to Robert. Yeah, I, I always want to talk about the opening title sequences in these films. Um, yes. I, I used to complain about how they were a bit generic, and there was, like, a lack of uh, a theme for each one and now mm. I feel like with the advent of computer digital technology the films are starting to go too far in the other direction and they're a bit uh, unfocused like there's too many just random here's a shot of an oil field and here, mm. here's a woman and it, 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 I don't know it's just I, like I do like these things as a concept i feel like this one is painfully dated <laughs> hmm. in a way in a way that's not great like some of the some of the kind of multicolored tie-dye hmm. um effects on it are pretty bad <laughs> to a modern eye yeah but you know for what it is it's it's engaging i guess and the song is you know 
pretty good going for a Bond theme. It's it's not... Um, hmm, I like the song. Yeah, it's not a song I'd ever choose to listen to outside of this film, but in the context of a James Bond movie, yeah, good. You know, it, it does the trick. Hmm. Uh, right, so after the opening titles and the song, we have quite a big period of exposition... Uh, MI6 have relocated up to Scotland and Bond is getting the details on the daughter of the man who was killed in the opening and she's called Electra and she has some kind of personal history with M that's being explored. Yeah, so like like I say, this is a big chunk of exposition because Bond has a shoulder injury and we need to get him through to a place where they're sending him out on duty and there's this whole thing with them and it's all a little bit soapy. Sol, uh, you know how Bond shagged the doctor to get a, to get a medical certificate from her? No. <laughs> okay. So, yeah, you did phase out. I knew it happened. I knew it. <laughs> Look, the point is that there's a sexy young female doctor there. He shags her to emotionally manipulate her into... You know, not doing her job properly, and <laughs> uh, I mean that is uh, these these films are just like it's it's like male wish uh, <laughs> male wish fulfillment on like is, such yeah. a blatant level that it it's just so puerile it's almost offensive. It's just <laughs> you know, I I saw the other day, Calvin, that um apparently Ian Fleming described Bond as looking like. Oh, what was his name? A jazz musician? Hoagie Carmichael? Yeah, Hoagie Carmichael. And then I saw a photo of Hoagie Carmichael next to a photo of Ian Fleming. (laughs) Very similar. Very, very similar looking. Like, the blatant Mary Sue character. It's (laughs) unbelievable. Yeah. Yeah. But my my question after all this all was going to be, I don't know if it's even mentioned in the film, but I saw it in the credits. Can you guess what that doctor's name is? <laughs> doctor, yes. <laughs> Calvin, would you like to tell him what the doctor's name is? Doctor Molly Warmflash. <laughs> <laughs> Molly Warmflash. Of the warm flashes, the the the. the, the, <laughs> the proud warm warm flash family. <laughs> of course, of course. Do you know what? Right, this is a Pierce Brosnan thing. We watched Eurovision Song Contest recently, and mm. Pierce Brosnan's in it. He's in his like sixties or whatever. He looks younger in that than he does in this. What what's what? happened? <laughs> why does why does Pierce Brosnan look so old in this? Like he looks. He doesn't. I mean, I guess he looks his age, but I think he yeah. did two years ago. <laughs> like, <laughs> how old I think is he's he? He's aged incredibly he well. I I did have a similar thought. I did have a similar. It thought, was when I he was leering over he... Money Penny and kind yeah. of leaning over her, and she just because yeah. she was smaller in the frame and she looks twenty years mm. younger than him. It was just really creepy. Mm. When was the previous Bond film released, Calvin? Two years, uh, ninety-seven. Right, so, well, that's it, because I, I was wondering, like, because he, yeah, I I did have the same thought. Oh, Bond's looking like he's aged a bit since the previous film, but two hmm. years is how old? Nothing, how old really, was so. Pierce Brosnan at this point? Um, I think he was in his late 40s. I can't remember exactly. Uh, I don't think he was 50 by the time. He was, like, 42 when he got the part, so... That was another issue my girlfriend had with this, actually, was the... <laughs> 
the notion that a, a man in his late 40s would be sent out on this kind of field work <laughs> as opposed to like a young agile man in their 20s it just seemed a bit she hasn't seen roger moore has she <laughs> exactly I'm, I'm just i'm just numb to it at this point i was trying to explain to her every time something like this came up i was trying to explain to her that that's what james bond is and yeah, she seemed very she confused <laughs> But again, Daniel Daniel Craig's no spring yeah. chicken, is he? Yeah. Well, they, the, the, the thing is, though, the trick they've done with Daniel Craig is they film the film three years before it's released, so it makes him <laughs> seem younger. Very clever what they do. Uh, I think that's optimistic with no time to die. Uh, can you remember Goldeneye was supposed to be the tie-in film that we were looking at? <laughs> oh, good old days. Yeah. Now times. I think we might actually get through all of the Daniel Craig films before it comes out, so you can see it in the cinema. <laughs> we may as well, yeah, we may as well get there. Yeah, it <laughs> could happen. Knock them, knock them out. If nothing else comes of this whole pandemic, <laughs> <laughs> it's been worth it. Uh, <laughs> right, the the scene that I want to talk about. Um, oh, I think I know. Q. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Because Gasol likes Q. Yeah. I think. Yep. So I'm curious. This is his last one, if you couldn't tell. Um, uh, well, I so I I know that John Cleese at a certain point picks up the mantle as mm. as Q, right? Yeah. I I know that because I saw Die Another Day in the cinema back in the day, and you know I'm vaguely aware that he's in these films. I I didn't know he appeared alongside Q. Um, mm. Desmond Llewellyn is that is that Q? Yeah. Yep. Yep. Wow, it's going in. The knowledge, I'm finally starting to retain this bomb knowledge. Um, uh, Major, is it what is it? Major Boothroyd, am I right? Oh my god! Oh, oh, yes. oh guys, I've got the bomb knowledge. <laughs> Basically, I was really surprised to see John Cleese as Q in this film. And well, then he's not he's Q, R. is he? What's he called? Ah. Uh, oh, are they actually called R? Was that, I thought that was just a bomb well, joke. He's that's R what he's credited as. And yeah, and but then in in other places he's just credited as Q's assistant, which is yeah. weird. But he does become Q in the next film, right? They do yes. start right. Okay, yeah. he picks up the code name, as we know. Uh, <laughs> Bond, names, yeah. Bond makes a lot of use of code names. <laughs> um, I I was surprised because I always thought of him being Q, so I always thought of him being a kind of, you know, a bit of an annoyed straight, not a straight man exactly, but. In this, he's a complete buffoon. Mm. It's like a comedy buffoon character they've added in. Yeah. And and that, that begs the question of why have they cast John Cleese? That's not really what he's known for, is it? He, you know, it is. That's, that was Eric Idle's shit. No, he no he'll, John... he'll pull a branch off and hit a car with it. And, you know, <laughs> march around. John Cleese is the... It's the classic thing of, like... A man with no dignity being hit in the face with a pie isn't funny. You have to put him in a suit and everything first. And that, that's what John Cleese has got working. But here, it's like he's just gurning and being silly. He's not got any of that dignity. It just seemed like a really odd decision, unless they were planning playing the long game. Like, right, well, it is odd. Desmond's obviously going to go soon. Like, We've we can't John believe he's still for... alive. We didn't think we'd have to do yeah. this. Because <laughs> it's because it's it's that weird crossover as well. Was it like we're not we're not entirely sure he's going to be able to speak on set, so we'd better give him an assistant. They wanted to. Re- they obviously need to replace him. I think John Cleese is a really good shout. I think John Cleese can basically do the same thing. You know, like I I, I actually think that works. 
But then I think John Cleese is an excellent, excellent casting decision. Yeah. For Q. But I don't know if he makes sense as Q's assistant. Yeah, it, it it's it's subtly tossed off. It's it's what, sorry, Calvin? It, no, <laughs> um <laughs> Spending too much time watching these James Bond movies. (laughs) I did like, I will say, I liked the way they signed off Desmond Llewellyn. He disappears into the ground, but (laughs) six feet down. But I liked he had a nice little line just to say goodbye. And I thought that was a nice Mm. moment. And and knowing that it's his last moment makes it a little bit kind of special, I think. So I was happy Mm. with that, to be honest with you. And I think John Cleese... Is a good replacement, so it, it's. Uh, I mean, it's tragic. Uh, Desmond Llewellyn died shortly after this film was released, and it's you know it wasn't natural causes either. It was a car crash and and a, oh, really? a car accident, which yeah. is really uh, yeah quite sad. But but it's um I I, I think he, Desmond Llewellyn had been asking for like a couple of films now for them to give him an Please assistant just because <laughs> well because he couldn't even cope with the exposition the all the technical talk he couldn't in even the, pick up uh, that sandwich. So, <laughs> so uh, they, he was asking for an assistant for ages. They finally relinquished and gave him, uh, yeah, John Cleese. But this was, you know, they were still going to have him back for as long as he could be alive. Mm. And, hey, Calvin. Uh, yes. Have you seen John Cleese is doing uh, a Zoom <laughs> style online oh my God. comedy show? <laughs> that that has been thrown at me through online advertising like, so much. Target the algorithms are working. How? I mean, I assume you've got your ticket. No, 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 I'm not. No. Really? You're not going to... You don't want to watch John Cleese sat in his living room like <laughs> doing whatever that's going to be? I... I He's not known for doing like stand up, is he? I don't really know what. No, well, well, this is it because I went to his live show. Uh, God, about ten years ago now. I remember we were still at uni, and it was basically like a two-hour thing. And he spent the first hour like literally complaining about his ex-wife and sort of <laughs> saying that she was the reason he was doing it. He had photos of her on like a projector screen that he was showing of her at an ATM, like taking money out of the bank account <laughs> and getting really angry with her. And, it. And, uh, and then he spent the second hour showing clips from Faulty Towers and a fish called Wonder and coming in and telling stories that I'd heard before because I'd seen the behind-the-scenes stuff on the DVD. So, uh, <laughs> did he? No. Did he? Did he treat it a bit like you know back in primary school when the uh, when you get to watch a video and the teacher would sort of put it on, sit down for five minutes, and then they'd leave the room <laughs> yes! and, and come come back in like 20, 20 minutes later, just check everything's all right, go away. There were many more clips than I thought you would be allowed to show at such a <laughs> was such a, a copyright infringement. <laughs> <laughs> but the uh, the first half was fairly entertaining, where it was like literally just watching a man complain about yeah, <laughs> his ex-wife bleeding him dry in a divorce. <laughs> so that's the end of Desmond Llewellyn, and in the next film we'll have John Cleese's cue. Um, so in the middle of all this, we have Bond sort of, we have him, uh, this is where we're supposed to sort of gauge that he has stronger feelings for this Electra character. It all comes a bit out of nowhere. He's watching well, the, her. The, the scene where he puts on x-ray specs and ogles <laughs> a load of women like a fucking Beano comic book. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm still in Scotland. He's watching her on the uh, computer screen and she's crying and he sort of has a tender moment where he touches the screen. Oh, uh, yeah. I- I don't quite buy... I thought that was because it was a touch screen. I thought he was trying to enhance. 
<laughs> well, it's. I mean, it's. It, it is both. It's one of those I cathode think. ray tube touchscreens that you've been hearing about in 1999. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, I, I, I think that they're trying to sell us on that. I think he's overplaying it. It's you know he he is sort of acting like I could understand why I can't remember which one of you said earlier on that you thought there was some backstory that you'd missed out on. I can understand why you would think that watching this uh, the way he plays it. And then he gets really pissed off with them because she didn't tell him about the ransom money and all this kind of stuff. Uh, yeah, but Pierce Brosnan wanted dramatic scenes, so that's why we have this stuff. All right, so we've got this uh, poor CGI head of uh, Robert Carlyle that comes up through the. Uh, <laughs> oh, the floor. I like that. That was quite cool. I was, and you know what? I, I actually think you know that was. Yeah, good. I I agree. I was actually quite. You know, I, I saw it, I kind of giggled at, oh, how innocent a time. But then I thought, <laughs> yeah, you know what, for 1999, that's a pretty good CGI head, that. Yeah, and it, it... yeah okay. Well, I was just going to, we move on next to Azerbaijan, where Bond is sent to sort of uh, look after Electra. They think she's going to be a target for this uh, ter- terrorist. And we still haven't met Robert Carlyle at, at this point. No, we still haven't. No, no. But we do have some back and forth between Bond and Electra. Uh, so Sophie Marceau plays Electra in this. I think she's fantastic. Uh, I love this what? actress. I think she looks <laughs> brilliant. I think she plays it really well, very sincerely. What, wait, hang on. What what film have you seen her in? Makes <laughs> you love her. This one. No. Yes. Yes. And she was in a film with David Spade around the same time, I believe. <laughs> she she is just. I mean, look, I, 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 no disrespect to her, I'm sure it's not her fault, but several times throughout this film, I, I was struck with what a bland, uninteresting villain character they'd given what? us. Mm. Oh, I think she's great! Even by the standards of this franchise, you know, uh, we only have to go back to, is it Goldeneye? Uh, what's her name in that? She she was a much more Zenia. interesting, charismatic villain. Yeah, whoever the baddie is in Goldeneye. The, Zenya, the yeah, Zenya on a top. One. Yeah. The re- I think the reason that came across as in, what you, you've got nothing going on, love. I think the reason that comes across is because, certainly by the end, she's basically going on like, <laughs> no man can resist me. Even when you know I'm trying to murder you, you're still going to let me get away with it. That's how sexy I am. And it's just like, what? Like we haven't built that up, that we have not sold that. Obviously, there's more to attraction than that. But like, out of all the women that have appeared in the James Bond franchise, she's not like she's. <laughs> I'm stunned. She's a, she's a lovely looking lady. I think no problem with that. But yeah, the. I mean, maybe it's just because they they put her opposite Denise Richards in this one, who who you know. That's the first time a Bond woman's really kind of uh, done it for me on that level. I was like, ah, here we go. Yeah, we know. Now we see, Calvin. We see what the issue here is. He's jealous. He's jealous because his beautiful <laughs> Denise Richards wasn't getting the same attention. We just like a classier kind of lady, Alan. You and I. <laughs> French sophistication. Denise. Denise is not a sexy name, is it? Let's face it. <laughs> <laughs> you you're saying Marceau is <laughs> Sophie. Sophie Marceau, yeah, that's a great name, Sophie Marceau. Oh, Marceau, 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 Mm. it evokes mimes. That's the last (laughs) thing you want to think about. (laughs) Uh, Anyway, I think she's great. Um, 
And I think Brosnan has chemistry with her, which I can't say about him, a lot of his leading ladies. That's my other issue, is I didn't feel there was any no, connection between either. Pierce Brosnan and, to be fair, between him and anyone in this film. It felt, like a, <laughs> it felt like a robot. But to say that that character is meant to have a little something with... You know what, I take it back. There was a little bit of chemistry between Pierce Brosnan and Robbie Coltrane. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Anyway, we have uh, we ski into an action sequence next because uh, Bond and Electra go to check the pipeline. This is the bonding experience, isn't it? When they they ski together, that's like sex, isn't it? It's like dancing is sex, skiing is also yes. sex. I did think it's weird how how much James Bond goes skiing. <laughs> it's because it's a posh thing to do, isn't it? Is it? Because you never see James Bond just, like, going zorbing for the day or something. It's always skiing. <laughs> I was thinking that. Like, he's always like, oh, yeah, I'm like a black-pieced skier or whatever it is. And then, yeah, what happens when one day he has to seduce someone who's, like, really into netball or something? Like, is he going to be great at that as well? Is he just... <laughs> is, he, is it just polo and skiing? Is, is that... And croquet. It's only posh sports he's good at. <laughs> and cards. Oh, of course, cards. I can't wait for a modern Bond where he has to infiltrate like an e-sports uh, <laughs> event. Oh, and god! He, and he has to take someone on a, in a game of. Uh, I mean, it would never be Mario Kart or something good. It would be like Call of Duty or Fortnite. <laughs> I want to see James Bond trying to play Fortnite. And the thing is, he would be brilliant at it because he's brilliant at everything. Are you actually? Have you ever seen Never Say Never Again? Oh god. Um I actually have, but we're talking ten years ago. Well that was made in what, nineteen eighty two? What was he doing a Pong yeah. tournament? He doesn't go to an arcade and play Pac-Man, does he? Yes! Well <laughs> he really? not Pac-Man. They make up a game, but he <laughs> does go to yeah. He goes to a full on arcade in this really fancy casino because they were trying to make a point of like, ah, oh, this is you know, we all play uh, Blackjack now. Oh, you, what what would you give to be able to hear the conversation where someone's trying to explain to Sean Connery <laughs> what an arcade game is <laughs> and why it's relevant to the film and the kids are going to dig it? <laughs> oh, right, anyway, so we have this skiing action sequence. This is another one where I feel like it's just second unit takeover and they have a camera on a tripod and one on skis and that's kind of all we're getting. But uh, I like the music. I like the moment where... Uh, Bond does his little quip of uh, see you back at the lodge when the thing's falling over the cliff and then another parachute comes out and it saves itself and he's like oh, I made my quip. Yeah, what are you doing? I just made the you've just died quip. What the fuck are you playing? Yeah. <laughs> I thought it was a really weak uh, set of quips in this film. Yeah, yeah, I agree. They were all just really like that. See you back at the lodge. It, like, it was, I don't know, I, I just come on, let's punch it up. Alan, what else could he have said? <laughs> what, so what happens? There's a guy on like a snowmobile who goes over a cliff. In the Parahawk thing, yeah, and then he goes over the edge uh, and he's falling. So he's in the ski lodge, skiing. Well, that's one way to break the ice. <laughs> there you go, perfect. <laughs> this perfect. What do you mean perfect? There's no ice? It's, <laughs> it's snow. no ice. What more do you want? All right. Um... <laughs> There's snow going back from here. Oh. <laughs> there you go, perfect. <laughs> <laughs> But I mean that that is legitimately better. <laughs> it's just saying see you back at the lodge. It's just like I'll catch up with you later. <laughs> I'll have a drink. <laughs> uh 
Uh, right, so th- they're trapped underneath the snow and we have this sort of uh, tender moment as Electra freaks out because of her claustrophobia and Bond has to uh, calm her down. But he does manage to use the uh, giant uh, John Cleese inflatable jacket. Mm. So it's a yeah. good job they set that up earlier. So he basically does go zorbing, actually. I take it back. <laughs> <laughs> I would have thought that if you used it in an avalanche, you'd just kind of end up encasing yourself in a load of snow. But... <laughs> yeah. Would like, it, the snow would be collected inside. It would have been better if he'd popped it out, and then he's just rolling down the hill and gathering snow like a giant snowball. <laughs> <laughs> and then... Is she actually hysterical at that point, or is she just fucking about with him? Yeah. No, no, she... Well, ooh, ooh that's a good point, actually. I've never considered that. She seems genuinely, like, freaked out. Yeah, because, I mean, she was, like, genuinely kidnapped, wasn't she? She just sort of turned Renard on to her yeah. side. So, Goldie and Robbie Coltrane are here. Uh, yeah, what's Goldie doing in this? <laughs> it's a very 90s bit of casting, that, isn't <laughs> Goldie it? Goldie is very 1999, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it is like having Mel B as a, as a henchman. <laughs> uh, can, I, can I stop you guys? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Who the fuck is Goldie? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I'll let Alan field this one. Goldie, okay, in the film, he's the guy who plays Robbie Coltrane's like main henchman who ends up betraying him. Yeah. He's got gold teeth. Uh, okay, so in the 90s, he was just like a, a musician, I guess, a DJ, like R&B guy. He started out as a B-boy. Uh, that's it, really. And then he just sort of became this weird quasi-celebrity. And he was on like... I'm a celebrity oh. or something like that. One of those shows once. And I don't really know why he's so well known. I don't know why I know him. Yeah. But Robbie Coltrane's back. We like him, don't we? Yeah. He adds a lot of um, personality and charm to the film. Robbie Coltrane. He's he's one of the highlights for me in this. Oh, good. Film. Yeah. No, I, I love him. I love this character. I guess it's something we don't get too much with Bond, but he's like, he's a bad guy. You know, he's on the other side of the law, but because he's, he's a snitch and he'll help out James Bond. It's all right. He's like the huggy bear of Bond. He's trying to make a bit of money, but he don't want to kill people. He don't want to blow the world up. He's just, you know, he's, he's hey, it's all love. Hey, it's look, fine. I've got drugs. I've got hookers. <laughs> yay. I've got caviar. I'm going to smear caviar on this woman's right. tits. Right, Calvin. <laughs> yes. What's his name? Cubby, Cubby, Cubby R. Broccoli. That's what I was Oh, Cub- uh, I know, Cubby. I know Cubby R. Broccoli is now dead at this point in oh. time. Yes. So, with him out of the picture, had anyone involved in the production ever seen caviar before? (laughs) Um, I'm guessing so. Why? It doesn't look anything like caviar when he falls in that big vat of caviar. That's a big vat of caviar, though. Presumably it's like a big pool. It's like that's the brine and all the caviar's down at the bottom. (laughs) Yeah, I guess so. Calvin, are you pretentious enough to pretend that you like caviar? I have had it a couple of times and I've liked it, yes. When I was at the British Ambassador's house in Tel Aviv. (laughs) Calvin is exactly the kind of person who who pretends to like caviar. Of course he is. (laughs) It's nice. No, it's not. It's just... It's salty grossness. It's not not like, eh, caviar, gross. But it is just like, oh, I've just eaten a mouthful of nothing. It's like just, just plain... Salt. If you just want plain salt goo, have a spoon of peanut butter. With some salt. Salted. <laughs> well, yeah, salted peanut butter, obviously. Yeah. Bizarre. What else do you pretend to like for appearance's sake, Calvin? 
Oh. Whiskey. Other people. Well, I love whiskey. Actually, no, yeah, no, he's, he's he's pretended to like that to the point that he actually just likes it now, to be fair. Whiskey's great. That um, Go on, Calvin. What What is the, the stuff that you, you didn't like, but you had to just like, oh, yeah, it's great, isn't it? Yeah. Lobster. I'm trying to think. Well, well, I think everything... No, lobster's actually lovely, to be fair. I've had lobster once, I wasn't impressed. But but it's a farce. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, oh, but yeah, that's half not... the fun, like making it snip on your boyfriend's nose <laughs> and him running around screaming around the kitchen <laughs> like a Woody Allen film. Yeah, look, I, I, I'm not saying lobster is worth the money or hassle involved. It's but... fun when you, snaps, you hammer a nail through the back of the head, though. If someone can give you like a pre-prepared lobster fillet, it's, it's lovely stuff. I just don't, I don't like any seafood at all. I mean, it's no better than crab or... or... Anyway, that's this is <laughs> this is hopefully very relatable content for the majority. <laughs> of um, right. So, what what do we have here? We have ah, oh, we have um, Robbie Coltrane, oh, no, uh, Robert Carlyle's uh, introduction into the film now in the place with all the fire and stuff. Sorry, I, I phased out a second there. What did you say? <laughs> Sorry, the, I think this film has infected we're, my mind. I can't concentrate on it. We're about to. We're, I was we're thinking about about, the point. I was thinking about you eating caviar. Sorry. Why? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I've thought of something else Calvin pretends tastes better, even though it doesn't. Almost certainly, that vodka where they put, like, gold in it. Like, actual <laughs> flakes of gold. <laughs> so, uh, Robert Carlyle is uh, introduced around about here as the villain. Uh, should we talk about general thoughts about him? or? I mean, I've, I've seen Robert Carlyle give tremendous performances. I think he's a fantastic actor. I've also seen him phone it in totally, um, and he just obviously doesn't give a toss. This is definitely veering more towards the don't give a toss end of things. But I think mm. it, it, there's not much there for him to do. Mm. Uh, or, or it just, like, it feels like there is some character there and the bit about he, he can't feel anything and all that. And then they have the little scene with the woman where, like, he's obviously pissed off because he's disconnected from humanity or whatever i just feel like that there's more there there is something there isn't there like obviously what the writer was hoping to do with it and it's just not been realized be it through the director or the actor or whatever it felt like such an arse pull of a villain gimmick like james bond villains have always got a kind of like a disability that becomes their superpower and be that I got blown up by a bomb that put a load of diamonds in my face, but now I can <laughs> shoot lasers out of my teeth. Or my hand got chopped off, but now it's a massive robot claw, yeah. or whatever <laughs> nonsense they bring to it. This just felt like a placeholder in the script. Like, I don't know, he's n- his hand can't feel anything. Oh, we'll figure it out later. Just That's it, right. Yeah, they, they just don't use it. Like, because even if you're going to use that, mm. at least use it in the fight scene, he gets punched in the face and he just doesn't react. Yeah. Like, because even... Like, James Bond, like, op- James Bond jumps into a car and he's like, oh, I'm in a car, phew. And then the guy, like, punches through the glass, like, yeah. Terminator, and grabs <laughs> him and he's like, oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Well, yeah, because they even have that line in there where uh, Dr. Warmflash says he can push <laughs> Sorry, himself... 
<laughs> Dr. Warmflash says that he can push himself harder and uh, fa- stronger than any normal man or something like that, but we never really see that. And I don't think yeah. it helps that Robert Carlyle is a bit of a... He, well, he's not very tall, is he? He's not very big. So I never... He's shorter than Sophie Marceau. I noticed that in one scene. I mean, she might have been wearing heels, but you know. Is it just that he can't feel pain? Or is it that his hand is just numb? Yeah, he can't feel because... anything. That's a general idea. Yeah, it's all over his body. Yeah, but then then he should be, like, picking up glasses and smashing them by mistake and, like, knocking things off tables all the time. Like, yeah, if you yeah. have no sense of touch... You, That's it. You they know. don't use it at all. They don't explore it and and also i think if he's been shot as part of this kind of whole dr mr king at the beginning thing whatever his name was robert king Mm. Mm. show that make us make that the opening scene bond shoots him in the head part of the mission Mm. like just tie that in rather than having someone explain it over a hologram later on you know Mm. you think you think you know he's the main bad guy of the opening scene bond kills him as part of that and then later on, he turns up again. It's like, oh shit, it's you. I thought you were dead. Mm. Why not do that? Mm. That'd have been a really good opening sequence, actually, if it was that kidnapping and her. Because yeah. otherwise, we could have foregone so much exposition and maybe we would have understood why Bond had a bit more of an attachment to her if he was the one that had saved her yeah, personally. Exactly, or... yeah. That would have been so much better. <laughs> God. Yeah, huh. But yeah, it, it feels like a real missed opportunity, the whole character. It feels like mm. you've got an actor there who can do stuff, so use him. Yeah. But then he's also, ultimately, he's playing second fiddle to the real villain. Uh, so mm. he, he, he basically turns out to be just a bit of a, a goon, you know? A henchman, yeah. Yeah, which is like I referenced earlier. It's a bit like the Bane thing in, in uh, Dark Knight Rises, spoiler alert, um, <laughs> where he's actually a French woman who's... Uh, sort of controlling him it just doesn't work because we don't get enough of him before like he doesn't 50 minutes into the film before we see him doing anything i'll tell you why why it doesn't work alan is they haven't given him a funny mask that yeah. <laughs> that makes him makes it makes it visual <laughs> and a funny voice well he has a funny voice i don't know all right a fun yeah no, you're right. accent he was in. why why didn't Play. they just let him do it as begbie <laughs> that would have been fucking great. <laughs> it would have been great. And you know, he's actually, you know, Begbie's quite a an imposing, threatening character. Like it it would work. Oh lassie got glassed and no cunt leaves here till we find out what cunt did it. Who the fuck are you? Yes! Oh! Imagine Renard like glassing James Bond. Well <laughs> <laughs> that's it, some that's it, someone who doesn't feel pain, so he just thinks, fuck it, I'll get in a fight, I don't care. Uh, Bond has to do some spy work and gets uh, on a plane, sort of... He's sort of just playing it by ear at the moment, he doesn't really know what's going on, but he does end up in Kazakhstan, posing as a Russian doctor. <laughs> Ding dong. <laughs> <laughs> oh no. Uh, got, I'll just get the door, here we go. Hello. Hello. <laughs> oh, hello, who are you? It's me, Russian Pierce Brosnan Bond. Uh, it's Russian Bond. Maybe you shouldn't be living here. <laughs> Sound a bit like Marlon Brando Bond, actually. In Soviet Russia, maybe you sh- living here shouldn't be you. <laughs>
This is this is a really well thought through, well developed character. Oh, like we're adding onto the show at this late uh, juncture. Let me ask you. I, I, I'm here. Oh yeah. Introducing a Patreon. Oh yeah. Uh, uh, Trevor Balton. Trevor Balton. Trevor Balton. <laughs> Congratulations. <laughs> oh, he's the lucky winner. I mean, this is as good as Robbie Coltrane's. Come on. <laughs> uh, Kieran Bartlett and Trevor Bolton, both excellent new Patreon oh, subscribers. And uh, <laughs> they, they're supporting us on Patreon for just $1 a month. What a bargain. What, what extras do you, would you get if you support us on Patreon? What, what are the, what's the point, apart from helping us out? What are the benefits? Uh, early access. <laughs> so early access to episodes such as the one we recently did on The Purge. Uh, yes. But then the Purge new Purge film got delayed, so we're putting it on the shelf. A year early, lads. Yeah. And that's if I don't get delayed more. <laughs> What else but also diminishage, full-on bonus episodes. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, our last diminishage as of uh, recording this was one we did on Windy City Heat. Got a cool cult comedy film that uh, Saul is a big fan of. Unfortunately, Saul's not here. He seems to have disappeared as soon as Bond walked in. Whoever you are, uh, mysterious man, Scottish Russian Brosnan. All right, bye. I will, I will say oh, that right. you're. Uh, your English is very good for a Russian. <laughs> well, I, I, I studied in Oxford, but... <laughs> oh, that explains it. Uh, thanks right, to... Right. See, uh, see who, Russian who are bond. our new patrons that we're thanking? I've forgotten their names already. Trevor and Simon. Simon and Trevor, off of the go- going live. I must I must be uh, on my way, because I'm always Russian. <laughs> Get out of here. <laughs> Not even always Russian, sometimes it's Scottish. <laughs> I think he was the worst guest we've ever had. <laughs> it's the, the, weakest, the weakest Bond we've ever had, yeah. <laughs> Does Pierce Bro- I mean, Pierce Brosnan seems to think he's a kind of Dana Carvey kind of guy in this film and the previous one. Like, they, they keep writing in <laughs> opportunities for him to do little voices and accents. Because he's the master of disguise, you mean? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> So, I'm assuming that's coming from Pierce, if he's making all these demands. Does he think he is the master of disguise, Calvin? <laughs> that's something they never do with Bond, like, even in the Daniel Craig era. They never, like, have a fake nose on him, like a Mission Impossible mask or anything, do they? Well, no, not since um, they tried to make Sean Connery into a Japanese man <laughs> have we had... <laughs> Has James Bond never, never like worn drag or something? Uh, no, but Blofeld did in Diamonds Are Forever. Did Roger Moore never crash into like a clothesline <laughs> on a motorbike <laughs> and then <laughs> and then come out the other side wearing a dress and like a, a straw hat? <laughs> Daniel Craig did actually, funnily enough, uh, as in character as James Bond, dress in a dress uh, in a video. Oh, made I've seen for, this. Uh, International Women's Day. Yes, Jane Goldman wrote it. Bizarrely, was there was there any context for it, or was he actually like playing a woman? No, he just he he just walks out in front of camera. He's like, something. listen, respect women, all right? Or I'll fucking smash your face in. <laughs> Some Vinnie Jones. I'm working. I'm working on my Daniel Craig impression. 
Oh, you've you've only got a couple of uh, episodes left to go until yeah. you'll need to break that out. Oi! Listen up, you snag. It's Bond, James Bond. <laughs> Something like that. Oh, I have, right I have no heart. concept of Daniel Craig's voice, even though I have seen him in films before. What's that about? I, I, I genuinely have no idea what he sounds like. And I've seen him in that fil- that hot air balloon movie. There's a lot of hot air balloon talk today. <laughs> I've seen him in that hot air balloon movie where a guy falls out of a hot air balloon and dies. <laughs> and that's the whole film. I've seen him in um, Tomb Raider where he does an atrocious American accent. So I'm not going to judge based <laughs> on that. And I've seen him in Knives Out where he does a much more <laughs> well, <laughs> agreeable American accent. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Good choice of words. Uh. Right. Uh, speaking of Tomb Raider, as Sol just mentioned, Tomb Raider. Yes. Uh, yes. We're, sh- sh- shall we talk about Denise Richards as Christmas Jones? I'm really curious to hear where you guys are going to fall on this. I'm really curious to hear you try and defend Denise Richards, Calvin. Oh, okay. <laughs> I well, I, I'm with Calvin. She's she's my favorite Bond girl. My favorite Bond girl we've ever had. Yeah, but is you're she actually biased, aren't you? So, well, if if a Bond girl is supposed to be there purely as titillation for for you to fancy i i yeah this 90s era denise richards as we discussed in our starship troopers episode recently that that is it's the first time a bond girl has kind of gone into my type territory <laughs> and you're watching this with your girlfriend you say oh yeah i did i didn't mention it you know i didn't bring it up. <laughs> Mm. <laughs> okay. I mean, she's obviously a bit of a shit actor. Uh, oh yeah, um, yeah. But you know, it is a James Bond film. Yeah, but yeah. I mean, to be by Bond standards, not like she's terrible. At least she talks with her own voice, and you know, it's not being dubbed in by <laughs> yeah. someone else. That's always a plus point mm. for a Bond girl. So. I, I feel like the kind of the dynamic between them and the way they have to kind of work together, and they end up shagging each other. That's Bond. That's what I expect from a Bond girl. Uh, uh, interaction, you know, that kind of slow, mm. that kind of slow learning to trust each other, working to work together, shag, and I'm all right with that. It gives you a bit of a natural progression where they're kind of bonding, so to speak. Mm. Um, so yeah, that worked. I mean, it's the same as every other one, but that's fine. Mm. Okay. As much as whatever you say about her, you're not going to get past the fact that she's called Christmas Jones, and there's no. <laughs> no validation for that whatsoever. I mean, the last line. Well, go on then. Tell me what the last line is, Calvin, and I'll <laughs> laugh in your face. <laughs> I I thought Christmas only comes once a year. Right now, that's not a euphemism, <laughs> is it? Because her name's Christmas, <laughs> and he says like, "Oh, you lied to me because Christmas only comes once a year." But you've just had more than one orgasm while we had sex. That's what I'm saying. There's no, there's no euphemistic nature to it at all because her name is Christmas. Well, I, I think the problem with her name being Christmas is they obviously thought it probably wasn't even Christmas. They probably thought they were being clever. They probably heard someone say like, "Oh, come on, St. Patrick's Day only comes once a year," and he went, "Oh, it comes once a year." Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's good. That's good. We can use that. And then they went away and they thought, "Comes once a year." <laughs> yeah, that could be a James Bond pun, and they probably thought about it, had, like got a writing team together of all the like best Bond writers over the ages, like oh. to crack this pun, and and they went, uh, what else only comes once a year? Um, 
April Fool's Day, yeah, yeah. What about one that doesn't have day, like you Thanksgiving? No, no, no. Christmas, Christmas. Oh, okay, Christmas. Oh, that's is Christmas a name? Well, I mean, there's Christmas <laughs> Islands. Uh, I I think you could you you could blag it. Yeah, no. Christmas comes once a year. Okay, yeah, yeah. So I mean, it's painfully backwards. What's the word I'm looking for? Back engineered. Uh, uh, Backwards engineered, yeah. It's it's painfully so, and not not in a kind of charming, funny way, like a Graham Linehan sitcom pre <laughs> uh, trans exclusionary scandal. Um, it's it's just like, what are we doing? But but nothing. I don't let feel me, like exp- this is a new line James Bond is crossing as a franchise. Christmas is not a name. It's not a given first name. It never has been. It's not in any language. <laughs> Or any culture. It doesn't work on any level. And even if it was, and her name was Christmas, he still at the end says, Christmas comes once a year. You've just come twice. It's not even Christmas. It's not set at Christmas. There's no euphemistic... No, it is. It's New Year. It's New Year's. At the end, it's New Year's. They're celebrating New Year's. This is a Christmas film. Is it? Like Die Hard. Yes. Anyway, that was the worst bit of the film. (laughs) Okay. Uh, huh. Uh... Well, okay, I I think our consensus is generally more positive than a lot, and I'm happy that there is... uh, I I feel like Denise Richards is getting a bit of an easier uh, time of it in regards to her Bond role recently, which I think is fair, because I think, as Sol said, I mean, what they've done here by casting a fantastically attractive actress in in the part, and she might have been known as more of a socialite or model or whatever at the time, but that's exactly what they did in the 1960s, where they cast Miss Worlds and whatnot, and and, and as Sol said, she can speak English, so they can use her voice, which is a plus. I think that... The amount of backlash she receives comes from a bit of a snobbishness, well, actually. Well, hang on. So, from... I, I have picked up slightly on this, but... So, I'm right in thinking she is not a well-regarded Bond girl, is that... No! No, God, no. Why? Uh, well, I, I, I... Yeah, no, I mean, people point to her abilities as an actress uh, and whatnot. Black I off. think that it speaks... I think that it speaks to a snobbishness of Bond fandom. Yes, no, precisely. And she's she's made up to look like Lara Croft from Tomb Raider. She's got the tank top and the shorts and everything. They're obviously going for that young boy audience. That was 100% like a Tomb Raider ripoff consciously on their part, right? I I, I couldn't find anything confirming either way online. Uh, but I don't it, know if anyone's yeah ever come on record and be. said it, but it's, yeah, it's, yeah. It's that, it's that era, like, what, we're talking three, four years after the release of Tomb Raider, and Tomb Raider's mm. this, oh. not only not only a huge deal, but a, like a British phenomenon. Oh, and this is a, a time as well, bearing in mind at this point in the 90s, the GoldenEye N64 game had been released, which is even to this day still a very much acclaimed, very influential game. So they know that there is this cross-pollination of video game and Bond fans of this time. Mm. So it's, it's meant to appeal to yeah. that as well. You know, she is giving a noticeably bad performance in this film. In her defence, I do wonder to what extent that is down to the film rather than her. She's she's not a great actor, but in Starship Troopers, which is my one other reference uh, for her, she gets away with it a lot more because they've cast her as a kind of teenage high school Beverly Hills type, you know, young girl. And they kind of play more or less to her strengths, and it, it works. 
summarizing what I know from some of the behind-the-scenes stuff, and also from Denise Richards' own autobiography, which uh, a friend of mine pointed me in the direction of, uh, because she talks about filming this... I've read this section (laughs) so far. Um, But yeah, she does not have many good things to say about the experience working on this film. She was Mm. sort of in London by herself. Her mum came over for a bit of the shooting just to keep her company. She said that the director made, had no sort of made no effort to build a camaraderie on the set. And Pierce just had, was off with his own family. So they never really hung out. And she just says that she felt very alone during this whole experience. And the fact was that she was a MGM executive sort of decision. Like, no, you're going to cast this hot commodity. So, yeah, so the director isn't coming with open arms, yeah. Is that a joke about famous Bond girl, the director? What? The, the, director, isn't co- the director isn't coming with open arms. <laughs> oh. oh. God. <laughs> Goodness. <laughs> um, that name makes as much sense as Christmas. In the book, she talks about sort of the promotional... She enjoyed the promotional glitz and glamour that went with the film. Obviously, they travel around the world promoting these films and stuff. But then she does talk about sort of reading the reviews and how they were all quite bad. And uh, she just felt kind of like, God, they gave me this part. No one wanted me. Uh, No one was really telling me to do anything different and yeah. then yeah right uh I'm, I'm aware that this is running very long <laughs> this show um yeah well i mean I, I had a similar feeling about this time uh watching the film um you know <laughs> you know for like the last 10 of these films i've done this thing where i've been watching the film and i've thought Oh god, it's uh, it's just about to wrap up, but you know, I just need a wee or something, and I pause it, and then mm. it says one hour in, one hour left, <laughs> and I like throw my remote control across the room. Yeah, I I did the exact same thing again. <laughs> one hour, one minute into this film, I think one hour, one minute left. Um, it wasn't actually me this time. It, it was my girlfriend needed to go to the toilet, but I paused it thinking she said how much long is left and i went oh you know it can't be much longer now and it was an hour (laughs) i thought you said you were enjoying it from about 40 minutes in after this hour i started to focus i think the break was good actually to sort of reset my brain and then it was like okay i'm starting everything up until this point was just Well, we are coming up to uh, a big plot development. Uh, Judy Dench's M gets sent out in the field, and she is kidnapped by the main villains. Uh, yeah, so we finally establish for sure that Electra is the villain, because at this point it's still... Mm. Although, you know, just judging by the way that it's filmed, the fact that she looks so shifty all the time, like it's pretty obvious <laughs> that she's the villain by this point. Like it, They could have made suspense out of it, but why bother? Well, I, it's so weirdly handled it it was kind of like is this like a triple quadruple bluff the (laughs) film's doing i I, yeah yeah i mean it's really clunkily handled when because they think that bond has been blown up at this point and then she's like oh i'm so sorry uh but here is the thing that my father would have liked you to have it's such a shift of and they have judy dench saying like oh perhaps now isn't the time well i I did at least i like that they acknowledge it because obviously she's She's doing the big reveal. She's like giving the fuck you. So yeah, yeah. It, it feels clunky because it doesn't make sense. But I like I did like that they at least acknowledged that, and, you know. And Judy and she's like, um, 
Yeah, I love all the... We've kind of glossed over some of the action here, but this is some of my favourite action stuff in all of Bond. All the stuff underground in Kazakhstan I love, and then all the pipeline stuff with Bond and Christmas on the thing. I love that. There's a whole big caviar factory thing with the car, <laughs> which is great. What's your next... Did you guys take notes? Well, yeah, I did, yeah. but I gave up. I, I've, got, uh, I've got three left, if you want them. Uh, guiders. Right, well, uh, I mean, this isn't a note as such but i started getting severe deja vu in the kind of final act of this film am i imagining things or have we not seen a, a helicopter with a big chainsaw hanging off it in one of these <laughs> earlier james bond films um it was earlier in this film is that what happened i just remember okay <laughs> oh no 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 i'm no you know what i'm thinking of i'm thinking of that drill with a big like load of chainsaws on the front uh... that gets shot out of a torpedo yeah gets shot into a submarine because yeah. it was it felt like the same writer had just had a thing for grinding gears and <laughs> really impractical chainsaws Funnily enough, these were originally conceived for a sequence in GoldenEye that ended up getting removed from the thing. But you can see in the pre-production, they were like getting the models ready and stuff. So I guess they just figured, oh, we've got the uh, pre-production stuff for that. Let's just do it here. Almost certainly, if you did that in real life, the second the chainsaw like made contact with what you wanted to chop up, the helicopter would crash. Because <laughs> there'd be all this... <laughs> force being applied yeah. to the helicopter by the chainsaw and it would just fly into the floor so it doesn't really work mm. on any level and it's obviously <laughs> meant to be threatening and scary but it's also a lot less of a threat than just like having some guns on the helicopter yeah because it's like <laughs> watching wacky racers <laughs> yeah it's a lot easier to like escape and run away from it and not be killed by it because the helicopter has to fly this really awkward thing directly into you and more often than not you can just kind of duck down and it'll go over you like if they haven't timed it exactly right if they go too close to the ground the saw's going to chop into the floor, and that's, yeah, again, the helicopter's going to crash. You know, crash. the pilot's visibility can't be that good from that yeah. angle. <laughs> Do you not enjoy the car getting chopped in half? I mean, you know, I found this all quite engaging more than I do typically for a Bond film, but it is just absolute Goodness. nonsense, and not in not in a kind of, oh, isn't this silly, funny, campy kind of way. It is just like, what were they, what is the, what are they trying to achieve with this? I don't understand what I'm Fun! Watching. It's fun! I'm having fun. It's nice because it's all these like walkways and wooden walkways and stuff and then they're getting chopped up and the buildings are really flimsy. So there's a lot of DNA between this and the previous film, isn't there? I feel like there's more more of a sense of trying to have connective tissue across these Brosnan films than we've had in the past. Even Pierce Brosnan can't remember which one was which. <laughs> like he genuinely can't. In interviews, he, I saw him doing that commentary for GoldenEye and uh, he, he literally, he gets them mixed up he thought one sequence was in another film and all this, so yeah uh, they're just kind of investigating where Judy Dench is and it turns out that she's in Electra's base which is this tower uh, in Istanbul and um, so Bond is captured and he's taken to the tower and we have a torture sequence where uh, Bond is strapped to a chair and then there's like this cranking thing which presses into the back of his neck and then it's eventually going to break his neck. Uh, the whole idea of a torture sequence is a real trope from the books. Like, in most of the books, Bond is put through some kind of horrific torture mm. 
by the villain and then he comes out of it in the end. It's not really something that you see in the films all that much. He's often put in yeah. a position where death is imminent, but he always escapes, but he doesn't really sustain any pain. Here, he really does. Yeah. Uh, Brosnan does a lot of pain face, is the phrase that <laughs> the Bond community have uh, taken on to describe when Pierce uh, sort of... Yes, You'll never get away he... with this. When he squints his eyes and juts out his uh, jaw and uh, sort of get looks like he's gasping for air, he does an awful lot of that here, and I think it kind of spoils. This is Alan. You mentioned earlier on all the stuff with Electra when she's like, "Oh no, man can resist me." All that's going on. Um, I don't know if it works terribly well. How did this scene play for you two? Well, the torture scene or the bit after where. She, uh, the torch. She's just tortured him, and she's like, hey, "What? You're not going to kill me because I'm too sexy." <laughs> well, both actually, both. Well, it was just ridiculous. So, like, it felt by by the end of that, it felt like she was insane, like she had no concept of reality because of how stupid that situation was. And mm. you know, I, was, it, I think it was good that he just shot her. I was just like, look, <laughs> it's about time that someone did this. <laughs> but. I do feel like it sort of just glossed over this whole kind of trauma thing she went through that made a lot of this. But whatever. Uh, the torture scene, I don't know, it goes on a long time. She is just sort of, she's hmm. just sort of choking him to death. And Robbie Coltrane hmm. helps him out. Gives him a little wink yes. as he dies. Oh, you know what? Yeah, yeah I, I did like that. As stupid and cheesy as it was, I, I did like the little bit where Robbie Coltrane was lying on the floor dying and he, he he could take one shot and he shot his little wristy cuff and, and set Bond free and gave him a <laughs> wink. And I thought that was nice, you know? It it, it played yeah. well. The little the dynamic with the villain thinking, oh, he really did hate you and was trying to shoot you. And it was in and keeping the... with that character as well. Yeah, yeah. It was hmm. just, that was a nice little moment. More stuff like that and I'd I'd be a bigger fan of these films. Hmm. Yeah, no, no, I, I like that moment as well. I'm uh, just <laughs> baffled that I'm hearing positive things. <laughs> I think it's yeah. Robbie Coltrane. I think he's just, yeah. he's such a likeable actor. Mm. Yeah, he's great. Yeah, he just sells the stuff he's... I, I like all of his stuff in this film, really, from, from the point they get to his lair at the end onwards. I'm pretty on board with his character. It does a, does a lot for me in this film to make me like it. Hmm. Right, so yeah, uh, Bond does kill Electra, uh, which is not terribly satisfying, and I think, again, just staging-wise, uh, I get that M rushes up because he's freed her, and I think he kind of, because she's sort of laid on the bed, Electra, and he sort of goes and leans over her and strokes her hair, and the staging's really awkward. And... Oh, what is that? Fucking creepy stroking her face, <laughs> and then Judy Dench yeah. walks in and kind of goes, oh, like, what have I just <laughs> walked in on? And it, it is just, it's weird. Mm. I think it's a directing choice. I think that it, there's a way that you could film that that I think it would be conveyed better but i think mm. we're supposed to be from the perspective of m in that moment and sort of like witnessing yeah. it from her perspective but it really just doesn't work and that's why it comes across as creepy like you've just walked in on something you shouldn't be seeing and and again it's another <laughs> perfect example of pierce brosnan being asked to do something that he can't sell um, yeah it's, it's just 
Ah, oh, that's a terrible moment. Yeah, it was lost on me that the fact that he didn't want to kill her because he loved her. Apparently, mm. that yeah, mm. I thought he was just like you know he didn't want to kill her because you know he didn't just kill people in cold blood. He was trying to get information out of her. I I must admit I I had the same thought process really. I I, I got oh he feels bad about killing her and he didn't want to kill her, but I thought it was just you know James Bond doesn't want to hurt a woman. It is probably the most direct kill, you know, bond to woman that uh, has ever seen in the series. Uh, most in previous installments, when he sort of calls the death of a woman, it's been like pressing a button which sets off a missile which blows up the helicopter that the woman's in or something. Yeah, you know, proper Rube Goldberg machine that Q <laughs> gives him. Like, pay attention, Bond. If you need to dispatch a woman. Simply light this candle that will burn through a piece of string, which will set a marble rolling down this <laughs> trap, dropping an anvil on her head. So the um, the submarine blows up. Uh, for some reason, it's got it was going to go nuclear, but it doesn't for some reason. There's some very hasty exposition as they're on the way out, sort of explain why it's, it's not full of water. Why it, it, <laughs> That's what he says. He says the yeah, chamber's flooded, so it won't blow up. Well, it's, it's, there's some clunky edits in here because she says something about I need to go and stop the thing, and then they there's like an That's establishment the shot line. of the sub, and then. <laughs> yes. can, can we talk about James Bond's sex? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> right. So at the end of the film, James Bond's having sex. It's a it's a franchise staple, mm-hmm. and. Mm-hmm. This is my favourite part of the film because we actually see James Bond's technique and it appears that what he does is, like, normal people when they have sex, they kind of thrust back and forth because there's, a there's like, a friction element. You have to create friction between the penis and the vagina. They thrust the oh. penis in and out of the vagina. But James Bond <laughs> appears to lie stationary and just heat up. Like, he gets really hot on top of a woman. And presumably, once he gets hot enough, he comes. <laughs> and so that, this is my favourite part of the film. We, we of course, they're, they're using uh, thermal imaging, aren't they? And they see, oh, James Bond's on top of a woman. And then it's like, oh, James, oh... But obviously, it's like it would be too risque if he was actually just fucking going at it. <laughs> it's very weird. Yep. It's like again going back to Game of Thrones, which I've started watching. It's it reminded me of that, right? The the way that like they're trying to be edgy by showing sex, but then every time Jon Snow pull like Jon Snow will come, he'll be banging some you know sex worker really graphic sex scene and he'll go oh, oh, and then immediately pull out and he's just got a flaccid cock it's like instantly <laughs> lost his erection there's no goo on it and you're just like look you've just taken me out of reality here if you just <laughs> had like reality. a flower pot in front of it austin power style i'd think fair enough <laughs> but <laughs> i thought you meant harvey weinstein's <laughs> You know, if if you just had like someone eating a hot dog obscuring the shot, it'd be fine. But because you've decided to be graphic and show me a cock, I'm thinking, well, why is this cock immediately flaccid? Why? Where are my gooey cocks? <laughs> yeah. Well, if you're gonna do it, do it. All right. If you're gonna show me like a post immediately post coitus 
penis every 10 seconds in Game of Thrones. <laughs> make it accurate and make it look like that's what it is. Instead of just... You make it sound like there's like close-ups. There isn't. You're looking at detail that's in shadow in like corner of no, I'm not. shots and things. It's not in close-up, but it is in centre of frame. And they are making a big... A big thing about, look, we're not afraid to show floppy cocks on Game of Thrones. <laughs> we're not afraid to show anything. Game of Thrones, right? <laughs> I, I was oh, watching God. I was watching a scene the other day where, again, I think it was Jon Snow, was um, he was riding on a horse with a woman. And he was <laughs> meant to be touching up her vagina, giving it a little rub. And she was getting really into it. His hand was on her fucking belly button. It's like how you do it. That's how Tommy was over. <laughs> it's like no one involved ever, <laughs> ever had sex. It's baffling. I don't know what's. <sighs> if you can't show it, don't show it. You should get a job as a intimacy coordinator <laughs> <laughs> on the sets of these things. The worst <laughs> thing is right. Every time there's a graphic sex scene in that show, is you just you just picture George R R Martin sat at his desk. <laughs> writing it just like getting all hot and sweaty getting red hot like james bond at the end of this film <laughs> the thought of khaleesi you know sucking on a another woman's boobs or whatever and just oh, it's just he's a dirty old man isn't he <laughs> anyway james bond I knew you'd... I don't know why you're watching it, because you just, you're just you so contrary about these things. I think I am uh, done with it, to be honest. I don't think I'm going to persevere beyond... Like, I mean, everyone it said, get better, so... Yeah, ev- everyone said you've got, oh, to, no, it does. you've got to stick with it past season one, and I just I don't see it. Oh, yeah, if you're not hooked now. Like, I was kind of like, eh, whatever, until end of season one, and then I really got into it. So, yeah, yeah if you're not there. But see, season four is the best. I kind of want to see how bad the final season is because that that interests well, me more than anything else at this point. Honestly, I think it is worth seeing just to kind of yeah, have a gauge of how like it's so weird that it was such a cultural zeitgeist and yet that ending just killed it for so mm. many people, not in a good way obviously. Yeah. And anyway, I would be really curious to know what you think of that end, but I understand that means you'd have to sit through another, like, what, 70 hours? <laughs> yeah, yeah. But seriously, there is there is an episode in that last season that I think is just phenomenal. It's, like, feature length, and it's a, a big... The entire episode is a battle, and I've never felt... Can't see anything. Sustained. Uh, Lord of the Rings 2. It's all dark. Who did cinematography on this shit? <laughs> that's what I, I've, I that's what i've heard i need to adjust my tv and make sure all the settings are right before i watch that episode shall we rate yes i mean it's no no real surprise for me here i'm not a huge fan of it but as far as bond goes it's pretty much as expected at this point um i give it five out of ten I, i've got a feeling that's going to be more positive than alan in this instance <laughs> <laughs> I think it's the weakest Pierce Brosnan bond so far. They've they've kind of got progressively worse with each one, but not not hugely. Uh I'm I'm a huge fan of this one. It's been one of my favorites for years. What are you Anyway, um love the action sequences. I think the music's great, so I'm exhilarated in all the right the music places. We haven't really touched on the music, but like this was just this 90s thing of just like the most like this kind of annoying 90s club music will just kind of fill <laughs> the scene. Every 10 minutes, it'll just like fill the scene, just playing over the top of everything like dialogue, action, 
it, it, it felt like a music bed rather than a film score. Yeah, it's a music bed. That's what, that's what it was. I love it. I think it's really great. And, uh, oh, I, um, uh, I don't think that the drama necessarily works as well as it should between Bond and Electra. And um, I don't know if they could have written a way around these things or if just Pierce performed them better. Um, but I think that it's serviceable in that regard. And oh, I just love it overall. So it's a nine out of ten from me. Jesus Christ. That's totally insane. It is my fifth favourite Bond film. Wow. Well, I I just thought it was awful. Um, and just, it just feels like nobody's trying. Nobody cares. There's no, there's no thought. There's no attempts to do anything. Or maybe there is attempts to do anything. It just fails terribly. Like emotion. Anyway, <laughs> it's one of the worst ones as far as I'm concerned. I gave it a three out of ten. I would have given it a four, but then he said Christmas only comes once a year, so <laughs> give it a three. Do you know what the worst thing about watching this film was? <clears throat> I know the next one's worse. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Really? Is, is it really? Is the next one worse in a way that is It's worse than any other film ever made. <laughs> I remember it being absolute <laughs> dog shit, but I went to see it at the cinema having never seen James Bond, not knowing what to expect. And I, I I do kind of, part of me feels like I might find it kind of enjoyable in a silly, nostalgic way, die another day, when I come to rewatch it soon. <laughs> um, Calvin, do you think I'm, do you think I'm gonna like it and find a kind of ironic joy in it? And enjoy how silly oh, it gets, yeah. or do you think it's gonna just be such a load of shit that I'm gonna get angry with it? No, you're gonna do your contrary thing and say that it's like the best Bond film ever made <laughs> after uh, watching it or something like that. Uh, I think you're gonna actually come away with it, sort of being like, "Oh, it's not much different to all the other ones," sort of thing. Yeah, uh, it's the worst rated one on IMDb for what that's worth. Oh, really? How much? It's got a six point one. The next highest is. Moonraker with a 6.3. Well, there we go. That's another one. Anyway, so that is our latest Bond film. We will be doing Die Another Day at some point. Probably not too far off. Yeah, uh, Because there's no new films coming out, so we're just filling the schedules with Bond. But uh, thank you for listening. Thank you, Calvin, for giving you. us your oh, it's lovely. Thank you. on Bond. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right. Bye. Yes. <laughs> Ciao. Yes. Goodbye. Bye.